What's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for all your support and joy over the last few weeks. I really appreciate all of you listening in and tuning in. And thank you once again for joining me for another very special episode with another member of the GSA contingent, which is, of course, the incredible Chris Palmer. I've had the genuine pleasure of learning from Chris since September on my course. And it's like a tidal wave of information about voice I've been throwing me. I've absorbed all of it. And I've learned <laughs> just so much from voice management to Tai Chi, to yoga, to um, how to shout and scream safely. And also just to really enjoy working with the voice and to really learn from someone who's been there and done that and just and continues to grow as a teacher and as a person and I'm so thrilled that she is with me here today and um, so let's take a let's take a moment to introduce Chris herself so Chris graduated from the Rose Buford College of Speech and Drama specializing in educative educative theater then completing her training in an MA course in advanced voice studies at the Central School of Speech and Drama She's worked as a vocal coach on numerous shows, including West End production of Mamma Mia, and has taught at many leading drama schools. Chris has increased her department uh, to cover the world of voiceovers and radio at GSA, including winning the BBC Carlton Hobbs competition in 2011. She has coached in Norway and Geneva for the World Economic Forum and Global Fellowship, and was communications examiner for Royal College of Surgeons. Chris has published articles for VASTA, that's B-A-S-T-A, and B-V-A, and her research as course leader on GSA's groundbreaking MA practice voice, practice of voice and singing course, and has led to wider readership in the training of singing and spoken voice. Uh, if you want to read more about Chris's work, she is the author of two amazing books, one of which is called A Suitable Vehicle for Actor Training, published by the Hopkins Quarterly in 2017. And most recently, Voice and Speech for Musical Theatre, published by Methuen Drama in 2019, where she takes you through, very interestingly, the science behind the voice, the biology, how to maintain it, and the process of how it creates its sound. And, and very, very deservedly, Chris is now head of voice at GSA, and on top of all that, she is also trained in British Sign Language and, yeah, and I've written that twice, author of Voice and Speech, published by Meth and Drama in 2019. Uh, an amazing book. And so it's a really genuine pleasure to be speaking to someone with a wealth of experience. And of course, she's worked with world leaders as well in Geneva, working from actors to world leaders to all kinds of people who use their voice, no matter what it is. So... Yeah, I don't. Wow, what a, what what a wealth of experience you have, Chris. Oh gosh, you you make me sound so so much better than I really am. <laughs> you're gonna be so hard. It's great. It's great. You, you must be really proud of all that. It's... Uh, gosh, I suppose when you think back, it's it does feel a, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. But actually, you know, it's 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 you know where your performance or your voice journey just takes you, and you don't. Normally, I say yes to most things, so <laughs> so I never know where my journey's going to actually take me. Really, so it's um, it's yeah. So you mentioned um, Geneva. My gosh, that feels like a long time ago. <laughs> it was working with the World Economic Forum, teaching yes. uh, voice to international politicians. So that's a a, a, a different vehicle in itself mm. to teaching actors. But yeah. How, what's it, how does it compare working with uh, world leaders to actors? Is there like a 
a similarity in the training or is there kind of a difference? There's a similarity in the the mechanics of what it is that you're doing, you know, like the voice training. Um, whereas, um, but actually most of the politicians, they actually know their content very well. Mm. But, and sometimes it might be to do with um, maybe exploring empathy towards the people that are going to be listening to them or mm. perhaps a more harder approach depending on the content of what needs to be said and how it needs to be um, approached. So, so they are the clients, uh, mm -hmm. and it and it depends what it what the client wants and what the purpose is. So that's the the main the main area that I work with, and what they want is is how to deliver um, sometimes quite difficult um, information in a in a way that has um, longevity and really increases their power if you yeah. like and I don't mean vocal power I mean yeah. the message behind what needs to be said yeah but I would I advocate that that's no different really <laughs> for actors really <laughs> as lawyers uh, you know teaching lawyers or it, it, it all actually often feels this, this, the same kind of work yeah. it, it's just where the vehicle is or who the audience are mm. I suppose you could teach Boris a trick or two about, <laughs> about that sort of thing. But, no comment. Um, no comment, yeah. I think you mentioned, I think, in uh, one of our classes, you, he uses the directness a lot. I don't want to talk about Boris too much, but yeah, there's a, he uses the directness of the voice quite well. So everything he says sounds authoritative and it's kind of, it makes, he wants to make it sound as believable as possible. Is that, is that correct? Yes, I, th I think, I think that's what he tries to do. Sometimes he, he thinks he speaks before he thinks mm -hmm. that might be a, something that he he could probably take some time to get himself grounded <laughs> um and and really take the time to measure what he's being what's being said mm -hmm. um because sometimes and and some we're, we're often very hard on politicians but you know mm -hmm. they all are often asked questions that are completely and they have to respond instantly whereas actors don't <laughs> you know you're you're in that moment you know you don't really unless you're being interviewed yes. you don't really have to be spontaneous in 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 what it is that you're verbalizing so mm. you know I, I take my hat off to all politicians actually mm. there is there is a courage and a charisma there to sort of stand in front of the public and just have this I suppose not inner strength and then going into vocal strength in terms of what they're trying to deliver in a way. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, each politician from from each party and this persuasion right across the spectrum. Um, you know, they all care about what they believe in, mm. and uh, sometimes my my job is to help them. And I and I, you know, I don't uh, distinguish between each politician. And after that, I won't say any more about that one. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> um, no, so yes, no names. <laughs> no, no names. I was going to ask you about names, but actually it's probably not a good idea. But yeah. uh, so let's shoot right back to the beginning. Uh, so your first inspiration or first need and desire to work with the voice, where did that, where did that come from? Gosh, if I think right back, I'd been a child singer. So I was doing pubs and clubs as a child singer, actually. Okay. Um, and then I gave it up. Um, um, my dad actually got th throat cancer. Oh. 
Oh, so, so that's sorry. actually where the, the thought of it, and he had to relearn to speak because they pinned back some elements of his tongue. So he had to relearn to speak. Yeah. And that's where the beginnings of the fascination of voice work came, um, came to me, but I didn't really explore it. I didn't go down the speech and language therapy route because I was still quite interested in performing. Mm. Um, you know, and then I worked, Then I went to drama school and I performed quite a bit. And um, But I was one of those actors that always had to beaver away at, uh, at the craft. I couldn't just sort of turn up with after a cigarette and a coffee and just switch it on. I've never been like that. Yeah. Because um, I could always feel the, the difference when my voice was warmed up and when it wasn't. Yeah. And for me, unless it was truly warmed up, I didn't feel that I was really giving a proper performance. And I was, in a, I was in a show which ran for a year and it was based on an American show called Joe, um, The Wedding. I think it's called The Wedding in Chicago. And it's been, it was running for about 25, 30 years. Mm. And then Robert McIntosh, who's Cameron McIntosh's brother, he produced this show called Joey and Gina's Wedding. Mm. And there were some quite well-known people in it. And um, I was just the singer in the band and I would um, cover about seven different roles. Um, and that show went on for a year and, and most of it, 70% of it was unscripted. It was improvised and 30% of it was scripted. So you had to do certain things at certain points, but a lot of the time it was very, it was a, there was a lot of impro. And as a consequence, when you're improvising, you tend to talk far more. You're 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 doing so much more mm. than than a scripted performance, and that was really tiring out my voice. And um, so I, I I kind of recognised that once we finished that show, which ran for a year, I needed to sort of look at things in a in a kind of new way. And then a friend of mine who's a vocal coach, who trained as a vocal coach, and um, is very well known. Um, in the industry, uh, he suggested, why not try and be a voice coach? So I thought, hmm, I'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. Let's let's see if I can get in, <laughs> you know, fingers crossed. So, so, so I did, I, I got in and I sort of, in my naivety, I thought that I would probably switch between being an accent coach and still perform. Mm. That was my, that was my, reasoning behind it but very quickly I was getting work so much work and and in fact I was offered heads of voice at three different places at the same time and I kind of had to go oh this is interesting that's not what I expected at all and that's what mm -hmm. I mean about the kind of offers that come to you that you think oh well I better go in this direction so it's a two-pronged approach really it was one my, my own voice in um in, in, performance, in performance, but also my father's uh, cancer of the throat mm. and tongue that kind of made these kind of two elements, if you like, of my life mm. become this new path that I decided mm. to follow. So I no longer perform. <laughs> yeah. I look sure. after performers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure the, I'm sure the performer is still very much, very much alive inside you, I would think. But... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so how would you um obviously you're, you're still you know, all of us all of us are on this journey of life every day but uh but um you're 
journey with the voice, I suppose, specifically as a voice teacher um, to date, um, how would you describe it? What, what's, what's kind of, what's, what's really stood out for you over sort of discovering and working with the voice and working with all kinds of different people? What sort of experiences have made you go, wow, I wasn't expecting that? Uh, I think, um, you know, it's always about that self-reflection, mm. isn't it? You know, so yeah. you, you learn, you know, when I went to Central and I learned um, sort of the guiding fundamentals, the guiding principles of, of voice teaching from, mm. from a wonderful teacher called David Carey, he um, sort of, there was... I'd started that journey of voice teaching, but for me, I was, um, I suppose I was still learning to be a teacher at that point. And I wasn't, so I had all these skills and I wanted to kind of throw them at people, but it was, um, it took a long time for me to recognize that I needed to pull back actually and look at myself um, rather than just feeding students lots of stuff, yeah. I needed to actually look at my own craft. And so uh, I suppose it was actually other things that led me to the voice teacher I am today. And that would be things like yin yoga, training to be a yin yoga teacher and tai chi. And in fact, David Carey introduced me to the beginnings of tai chi. Um, um, many years ago and and from that I I sort of explored that I guess moving meditation mm. in in voice work and that which led to introducing it into my practice and the same would apply with yin yoga uh, one of the things about me um Ollie and you probably know it <laughs> because of <laughs> because of my style of teaching is that I'm quite an adrenalized person. I've, I've got a lot of energy, mm. but sometimes that can be detrimental. And I'm aware of that, not only in myself, but also with others. And so the, the yin-like quality of yoga and the, the, the moving meditation of Tai Chi mm. calm me down. And, and I recognize myself in lots of students and that kind of high energy and that high adrenaline, um, especially when you've come from one class to another and or your hype or students are hyped up. So for me, I recognize that energy and which, which is why I kind of brought this into my practice, this kind of mm. calming way of working before you begin the true work. Mm. So, so it sort of, so they were like, wow moments for me mm. bringing the yin yoga and the tai chi into my practice uh, and also um the work of roy hart um which is under the guidance of bernadette o'brien yeah. that i did some some training at rose bruford many years ago um but it sort of stayed with me those kind of practices where you're able to be creative and exploratory without mm. defining a right and wrong. So it was quite extreme, some of that work, but that led me to, to think, well, it's possible to take a student on a journey. So whenever I'm learning something new, I'm always thinking, well, well how could I use this? <laughs> That's always my thing. How can I use it for my practice? Mm. So um, I'm about to do a, a two-week viewpoints 
training um, so that I can help students. One, it's for me, but two, it's also for how can I, because I've done viewpoints training years ago as a, as an actor, but it's nice to look at it from a different spec with a different head on and think, right. Okay. How could it help me now to help students and also express it, you know, explore my knowledge even further. Mm. Fascinating. Um, I think you mentioned there because uh, the yin yoga and the Tai Chi, which, you know, you, you know, you, you taught us very well at sort of last year, um, sort of yin yoga, I just wanted to sort of just go into that and how specifically they help uh, the voice, uh, those two practices help the voice. So but the yin yoga, I mean, you, you took us on a few of those immersive workshops of yin yoga and, you know, it was so, yeah, it, it was an, quite a, an amazing experience in a way. It was really, really lovely. Um, so I, I, the question in my head right now is, is what separates that from kind of other forms of yoga in a way and how does it um, help with the voice? And because well, it's more towards breath support, isn't it, with yin yoga? Because it's a very kind of, you know, it's all about supporting the breath and making it stronger and making you. There's you... a stillness. There's a stillness to yin yoga yeah. that yang yoga doesn't have. Yeah. So yang yoga would be ashtanga yoga or hot yoga or ayenga yoga, where there's movement, where it's flowy, yes. it moves, and it's often standing most of the positions are standing whereas yin yoga is all floor based yeah it's all on the floor and you spend longer in the poses between you know six and eight minutes in one pose so what you're trying to do is relax the body in what can sometimes be an uncomfortable (laughs) or challenging position in order to um truly let go so that's letting go of the fascia the connective tissue um to 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 completely release yeah because for me um the voice is often bound by tension that we create in ourselves so it could be shoulder tension uh neck tension um facial tension stomach and um core strength tension so by being on the floor you're completely relaxing your body in positions that you might not necessarily always find comfortable like hip openers and as a consequence of that you're really truly letting go of some of these quite deep rooted um tension and by releasing that you're allowing the power of the voice to drop which affects the breath which ultimately affects the sound Mm. so that's why I I, you know, spend the odd, the odd time, the odd class, <laughs> just, just working on the, the yin yoga, really. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, I always find that after, after yin yoga, I always find this kind of release in a way. And it's not just like vocal release. It's a whole body kind of, yeah. you know, and you're like, you, f- you feel free when you move now. And I think that helps if you move freely in the body then the voice can operate freely as well absolutely absolutely you know we we call a lot of our modules embodied voice and movement but actually Mm. yeah the voice isn't just this tiny thing here it's the it's the whole body and if the body is unbalanced in some way or has some sort of tension Mm. then it's going to manifest itself somehow within the quality of the the voice you know so so that's the the aim 
But yeah. it's not, I'm not always achieving it. That's and that, that includes me as well as a student. So I'm not always achieving it. But but hopefully these little sprinkles of um sessions might 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 do for some students what it did for me, you know, kind mm. of opening up the door to various possibilities. And and they are so my work is often inspired by. So I am not a even though I do practice. And, and teach yin yoga within my classwork it's not the true form because the true form one is completely still and one doesn't make sound but of course in my classes I like to make sound <laughs> the same with the tai chi it's not true tai chi my master would have a fit <laughs> but it's it, it's it's inspired by so I've taken some of the movement movements that in isolation and created a form or yeah. a structure yeah so it's <laughs> i didn't know that so all the times you've been doing gathering the chi and stroke the camel's back and, uh, and <laughs> push back. dragon horses and... back horses back horses back oh god yeah sorry <laughs> there's no camel <laughs> that'd be very much like that oh god that'd be bad but so part that one wherever that was <laughs> and uh push dragon away i got that one right but um they are all individual movements yeah. they are all individual proper tai chi movements um but they would not but they would be done in sequence with other four other areas in mm. a long form you know in a, a completely different you mm. know um and of course again we wouldn't make sound mm. you know we wouldn't make sound in that yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how because um, because Tai Chi is, is a martial art and yes. uh, and how that can affect the voice as well. It, I'm reminded of um, I, I spoke to someone on this podcast about uh, the work of uh, Yao Father and how it's it's a she her practice is all about the visceral quality that you mm. bring to a performance. So the emotions are kept in the body. It's not just all up here in the head. Mm. It's also, it's everywhere and. If you're playing a character with this kind of smoothness, then yeah, I suppose yin yoga would be a very good thing to be practicing between. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because you you don't know the body. The body has has pain and suffering and <laughs> etched on on our bodies. Yeah, isn't you know, and and actually by releasing, we're sometimes we release some sort of emotion. Mm. You know, and, and the same with Tai Chi, you know, it's a stress reduction. So it's so for me, it's good for vocal practice. Yeah. And speaking of vocal practice, that brings me on to another topic I want to talk to you today. Um, I remember the very first session we had with you, you sort of gave us a rundown of what to avoid when you're looking after your voice, you know, avoid like particular products or particular sweets in a way to sort of affect, because I've heard strepsils are a big no-no for, for voice work and stuff. I don't know, I just heard that from somewhere. And uh, so what's, what are some of the absolute no-nos of voice um, care in a way? What should you be avoiding if you are, if you I think it depends healthy? on, I think it does depend on um, the individual. Yeah. So, so it's, it's knowing your body and your own voice, knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you. But, but you know, personally, if I were going to record something, I wouldn't be having red wine the night before mm. because of the tannins in the, in the wine. Mm -hmm. I would also probably re reduce my dairy products mm. because I know for me, they produce a bit more phlegm on the folds. Yeah. So it's knowing what's right. You know, I would um, use apples 
before recording because they really help with um, uh, acidity in re reducing and, and give a, a, a brighter quality to the, the voice. Mm. Um, you know, water at room temperature, not too hot, not too cold, you know, those sorts of things. But I would never sort of say you shouldn't do this. Um, I think it's really up to the individual. Yeah. And it's the same with uh, the only thing I would say is that any any um, throat spray or sweets that have a numbing effect yeah. on the voice. I, I, personally, I don't like um, sugary sweets because sugar, in the instance that you have them, you're, one can feel a little bit more soothed, can't one? But immediately afterwards, you start actually tickling. The tickly cough often comes back. And that's often because of the sugar, the amount of sugar that's in those um, sweets, mm. which is not good because obviously all it's going to do is reproduce um, more phlegm, making you cough and tickle even more. And the same with um, the numbing things, you know. Personally, I wouldn't use anything that numbs the voice. Mm. Um, and I won't name any products, <laughs> um, but I find so. I think if you are numbing your voice in any way, you are in danger of us thinking that your voice is okay to do a certain thing. Yeah, because you're, it, you know, it's it's a bit like taking a having some sort of injection to numb some sort of pain in your leg and then going, going off and doing a marathon. Um, for me, that's exactly, that equates to the same thing to yes. have anything that numbs the vocal folds. There's something, then something's not quite right if you need to do that. Yeah. And, and I would sort of say, rest, <laughs> don't. <laughs> that would be my advice. I'm not yeah. um, an advocate of taking anything that's going to cause you, cause anyone to reach beyond their, capabilities yeah. when they're not feeling too well yeah so i think things like vocal zones and like throat tea and stuff like that that's yes or no i i wouldn't personally i wouldn't yeah. Yeah. um you know it's i think it's a it again they have sort of numbing qualities that mm. that, that, that that may be helpful if mm. you weren't performing that may be really helpful. Yeah. But once, if you've got to then immediately go on stage, then you're thinking that your voice can do things that it really can't do. It's just in a numbing state. Yeah. So I would say that's that would be a no-no for me. But a big no-no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so if, because there's, um, there's a thing where some famous people like Adele, for example, have had... Uh, surgery on their vocal cords because they're mm -hmm. vocal cysts in a way and I think even the famous case of Julie Andrews had operation on there and she sadly lost her singing voice entirely mm -hmm. and she couldn't do it again um where, where do cysts come from and what's is there a way of avoiding them or is it something that's kind of that that's kind of just happens in a way they're, they're normally they're, they're nodules so they're like um it's, they're like a little hard blister that mm. happens. Yeah. So when the vocal folds come together for speech and they move and oscillate, you know, like this, mm. if, if vocal fold adduction is not happening smoothly enough, so, uh, uh, but they're glottalizing quite hard, mm. well, that's what happens is a, a little tiny blister is formed. Okay. And if that blister becomes too hard, yeah. then often a layer ha has to be taken away. 
but it can it means that the vocal folds are no longer coming together as as cleanly as they once were so that would mean um a re-education of how to use the voice more safely and obviously that's part of what we do in drama schools mm. you know is to train the you to to use your voice as safely as possible so that you have a long career and that you're not doing this one hit big thing that that can cause you problems down the line and mm. which ultimately means changing how you approach your voice and the, and the work, the performance that you do, mm. you know, whether it's singing differently or speaking differently, mm. you know, there are certain accents that have that, you know, yeah. my natural accent, as I've talked to people about it before, is, is Cockney London. And it's not a healthy, you, you know, it, it can sound, you know, right down there. <laughs> uh, first of all, that's the first thing, it drops right down there. So it's a lower note. And a lot of glottalisation. So it's not how it's, I I get tired very quickly and I'm aware of it. If I weren't a performer, it wouldn't matter. If I weren't working in this industry or helping others to use their voices as safely as possible, it really wouldn't matter. But I'm aware of it. Mm. Um, When I'm with family, I have to really modify how I sound and speak because I'm so conscious of (laughs) <laughs> my voice <laughs> not, or not having a voice afterwards <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna walk away do some do some like belly bowl or or what was that ocean ocean breathing you taught us yes. about as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wait I need to get back to normal no not normal sorry that's the wrong word sorry <laughs> but, but it is strange you know when we have family gatherings and uh it's uh it's it's lovely um, but I'm always very, very tired. But that's because I'm also a, quite an adrenalised person, and I want to see everyone, you know, <laughs> you know. And I, I over push, you know. I'll go back to my natural, primitive self, my authentic self. You know, I try to modify that authenticity in order to remain healthy. Yeah, really. Well, it's it's good to hear it's, it's good to hear people's own sounds in a way. So. Be, be proud of your Cockney roots. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, <laughs> I am, I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because like, you've got actors like um, Danny Dyer is out there at the moment. He's got a very, very rich Cockney sound to him. But because yeah. he was born with it and it's natural, uh, even though it contains a lot of glottal in a way, but he naturally, but, but because he's kind of a natural speaker and his vocal cords are sort of naturally probably a, adapted to all that glottal in a way from the back of the throat do you think he won't have any problems with like shouting or screaming or anything like that safely of course but you know um i in all honesty i i don't know uh, i yeah. think it okay. would depend if he were in a long running show mm. as opposed to a tv thing yeah it might be very different i actually don't know it it would be interesting if he were in a in a show mm. to see him sort of like 200, 300 performances down the line and how he sounds. Yeah. Um, because I think that's the that's that's always the key. It's not the the one off yeah. because the one off we can get away with or the the two offs, you know, or or in a TV. It's very different. Yeah. It's the it's it's being live, and obviously that's what we're training people to do is to is to is to have a long career, a long, healthy career, and not and not just the immediacy of one 
uh, of one one job. Yeah, that's good. Because uh, I know he did the dumb waiter a few years ago uh, in in town, and I sort of I think only did it for about six weeks or so or something like that. It'd be really interesting to see how his voice developed from week one to the end. In fact, yeah. from day one of rehearsals in a way up until yeah up until this point. Um, good stuff. So that, that brings me on to a question actually from my brother. Actually, he's actually sort of wanted to throw this question out. He wanted to talk about the um, how to stop yourself from. I suppose in performance or in rehearsal, but from like going too hard, like like he says, like how do you avoid you like pushing too much, using too much air in a way, and uh, how to yeah. sort of not go to it? Because I think I think I'm getting this right for the gist of his question is that if he if he pushes too much, then that causes damage or can or can inflict damage in a way. So what's a good way of sort of not? It's 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 obviously going. That? Right, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it's going back to the, the basic principles of breath support, yeah. belly bowl, breath support, and can you sustain your voice with your breath at the same time? You know, that's the aim, really, to really work your... It, it's all in that training. Yeah. Sometimes when we are enthusiastic about a particular role or a particular the massive amount of text yeah. we tend to overcompensate. we do and we and we do it through through the voice through our bodies some people do it through their bodies and some people do it through their voices and we push so we push first of all with our with our head thrusting forward mm. known as pigeon so we, we tend to yeah. uh, we've got to try and obviously maintain a level of um of of uh, good good posture mm. that that's that helps sustain that kind of breath support um in your brother's case i would say that um sometimes we when we push too much air through a good experiment to do is to put a candle uh, in front of you and see if you can speak without moving the candle flame because if the flame is moving too much then you are way putting way too much breath over the top of it so it's a really good little little experiment to do yeah um is to try that you know um and then move uh, move closer and closer to it and because if the further away you are is that breath really traveling too far and too hard mm. you know so that's that's often a, a a, a good a good way to try a good yeah. experiment that's good yeah hopefully he'll listen to this and uh, be able to pick on that um so if a voice does become damaged in a way and, and you you know not to the extent where you need surgery or anything like that but if you if your vocal cords are, are really struggling and if you essentially lose your voice in a way and you and you you suddenly have this husky sort of town town uh tone uh what's the is what's the best way of kind of resting the voice is it simply just to not talk or is it to have you know to try and certain try certain products or like a, just have a cup of tea <laughs> is it? so no products are going to help i don't think with the, the damage that you might have inflicted on yourself mm. you're talking about like say a football match Yes. You know, you've screamed once loudly and you think, oh, that hurt. Unsafely. We've all well. done that. <laughs> yeah. We've all done that. And in fact, every year, every four years when the football, uh, when the cup comes round, <laughs> um, here, in fact, I yeah. do a little bit on safe screaming and safe shouting um, mm. and to do it 
a little bit more quietly. <laughs> but like the impulse yeah. is that is very similar to what we were just talking about, mm. which is that immediacy, we, we want to go for it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and somehow we actually have to set up the body, set it up. Um, the way I like to think of it is um, if you watch a cat <laughs> wanting to jump up, mm. they take a moment to look at where they're going and to really uh, get their body ready for the launch. Mm. And that's actually what we ought to be thinking about before we scream you know, for goals coming up or, you know, you know, someone's running towards the goal. Somehow we have to vocally, physically get ourselves set up for it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll be doing some safe screaming and safe shouting for football yeah. um, when it comes around again. Is it this year? It is this year. It's uh, okay. It, bizarrely, it's in November and December this year because it's over. Oh, right. Okay. November yes, that's right. So, um, so I guess I'll be doing some, some, some things on that. When it... But, but normally that's a one-off, so it's a scream and you've hurt yourself or shouted hard mm. and you've hurt yourself. And that's, in, you know, in the short term, it's absolutely fine. You just know not to go there again, you see. And, and sometimes it's quite useful as a, as a guide to yourself to go, ah, that's wrong. I should not do that. Mm. And then, of course, then you will need just to have some rest. And vocal rest is is vocal rest. That means no talking for a day, not, mm. not even quiet talking, not even whispering. It's just like one day, don't do anything. Just one day. Yeah. It's like it's Lots huge. of swallowing because we swallow between 800 and 2000 times a day. Wow. So, so um, you know, it's it's recognizing how much we need to we might need to swallow a little bit more, do a little bit of styrening after a day or two, mm. but gentle, gentle voice work, not nothing that's going to. So if you're if you're if you're about to perform on stage, watch the football after you've performed, <laughs> not just before you're about to go on. No, not a good idea. <laughs> um, and uh, I would say also set yourself up for, for a better scream, shout sort of feeling. Yeah, that's good. Um, it, <laughs> it's, it's funny how if you're, I could just get this image now of someone playing John Proctor and watching a football match beforehand you know, for a yeah. rough night. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's funny, Hugh Jackman was talking about this a few years ago when he did uh, the film of Les Mis, which record was not a fan of and uh <laughs> but i won't go into that but uh he talked about how yeah he went on vocal rest some days he wouldn't speak and uh, there's another story about this singer alfie bow who according to some people said apparently he sleeps sitting up so the voice stays in the right place so it doesn't it's more affect- to do with uh, that's probably more to do with snoring ah. and mouth opening yeah so 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 one of the things I advocate is sleeping with extra pillows if you've got a cold, um, especially a cough, mm. because the cough, if you're lying um, perpendicular, is that the right? I'm terrible. Um, um, yes. If you're lying flat, okay. completely flat, you're more likely to have your mouth open, uh, which will dry out your throat, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Um, and you don't produce as much saliva in the evening. You produce mm-hmm. about a litre and a half a day, mm-hmm. but you're not really producing much because your tongue's not moving around. 
So you're not producing saliva. So with a mouth opener, you're more likely to snore. So of course, if you're upright, your mouth will automatically close. So you're, um, so that would be the reason why. If you snore, it will have an effect on your voice. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So, so, so sleeping upright or with an extra couple of pillows or on one side or the other, again, is really helpful. Mm. They're, they can just help, help, really. Yeah. I, I said that to somebody and they said, oh, Ollie, that's a load of rubbish. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, but no, there is legs to this now, which is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 just again, it's dependent on the person. If if you if you're not a snorer, then you don't need to worry. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's but if you know your voice and you know that you are you wake up in the morning with a very dry throat, and it's quite it, it chances are you probably have been snoring, yeah. and because you don't produce so much saliva of a night time yeah then you're less likely to um you'll, you'll feel quite dry that's why we get that kind of sour sort of breath in the morning and we yeah. feel we sound a little bit croaky Croaky. you know that's the reasoning why because it's dry dry mouth <laughs> you know <laughs> um yeah i think barbara says uh creek uh, barbara ward also at gsa uh saying there's the creak in a way which sort of happens later on at night and first thing in the morning is just how to avoid that in a way yeah it's less to do with the positioning it's more to do with uh, keeping your mouth closed yeah and breathing in in and out through your nose so mm. that you know the air is filtered through your nose nose hairs yeah Good. Use your voice properly, guys. <laughs> that, that is great. Um, so I think let, let's just talk uh, talk about something. Um, we also looked at with yourself. We looked at Shakespeare in a way, and you broke down one of the chorus of speeches from Henry V. Um, uh, now enter a trajectory of a time that one that yeah. fills the wide vessel of the universe yeah. in a way. Um, can you talk about your relationship to Shakespeare? Obviously, you've, you're very well adapted it. You know, you broke it down brilliantly for us. Um, how has Shakespeare, Shakespeare affected your relationship with voice in a way because of the, oh, the, the, the rhythm and the iambic pentameter and the line endings and, you know, various endings? You know, like before, when I, when I trained as an actor, um, I was a little bit afraid of Shakespeare, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, because I sort of thought, oh, it's so clever. I won't get it. I won't understand it. I won't get it. But actually, I felt the same. Um, felt the same. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, to be honest, I so so one of the exercises I did with you was a was a David Carey exercise, mm -hmm. um, and it blew my mind. <laughs> I mean, literally, sort of just looking at the text and repeated phrases or repeated words, alliteration, repetition. Yeah you know, assonance, antithesis. Once I understood simile and metaphor, once I understood all of the, the, the way language works, by the time I'd done that about five times, I thought, oh, I actually half understand this. Yeah. So it, it no longer gave me any fear. And then I started to look at some exercises. I think I did a, um, an exercise exercise we did when we were training to be voice coaches we went, we went to the Royal Shakespeare Company and we spent a couple of days there and uh Sis Berry um taught us some yes. uh, ways in 
And um, I, again, it, it sort of like it blew my mind. It was just li little exercises that I sort of thought, gosh, this is really taken away the fear. I don't know what I was worried about. But I think that comes from school, actually. School is all about language. And yeah. if you don't have, if you've not been exposed to a, a wide variety of language, then Shakespeare is going to feel like it's nothing to do with you. Mm. Um, and so for me, my job, I feel my job now is to dispel the myths of the academia side of, of Shakespeare. Mm. That's my mission, it, because for me, he's a, he, in some ways, Shakespeare reminds me of Sid James from the Carry On films. <laughs> explain. <laughs> uh, let me explain. <laughs> Obviously, uh, uh, only in that, just that, just that they are. They, it's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's a, there's Pretty a, much, yeah. you know, it's 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 so much more visceral mm. and literally, you know, in the moment that I can't imagine not people not understanding Shakespeare now. It feels like um, some of the comedy, and when I say that, I mean, some of the comedy is more like Sid James. Um, the tragedy is something else. <laughs> the tragedies, or the tragedies are something else. But, you know, it, it, for me, it feels like um, really descriptive, juicy language now that, that I, that, there's there should be there should be no fear, but I do feel that Shakespeare has, has been um, somehow needs to be de demystified further, mm. you know. Um, and the same applies to Greeks. You know, I love all the Greek dramas, the Greek tragedies, and, and in fact, I went and saw K. Tempest's um, uh, Philocrates. I think it was yes. Philocrates um, at, the, at the at the National Theatre. Yeah, that's what, that's what and it was an amazing, uh, for me, I love the Greeks. And mm. I think if you love the Greeks, you'll love mm. Shakespeare, uh, you know, because I think they are, they go hand in hand and every, you know, Shakespeare will have known the, the classics, the Greek classics mm. and would refer to them. So, so actually um, that was also my way in through Greeks. Mm. And I think the more you hear Shakespeare, especially if you go to the Globe, Especially, which is, by the way, is Jack's favorite place. Hi, Jack. Yeah. And uh, and just, uh, I was lucky enough to be a steward there over the summer of 2019 before COVID, and uh, I was there for about three or four times a week, you know, showing people to seats and stuff like that. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's voluntary, blah, blah, blah. but I got to listen to Shakespeare uh, and just have it in my ear and stuff like that. And before I went, I was a bit like. I hadn't really read Shakespeare properly for a few years. And then I got there and I was like, first few shifts, I was like, people laughed. I was like, oh, I laugh as well. <laughs> okay, that's funny. <laughs> but just following the crowd. But then as you sort of heard the text, I thought, oh, that's why it's funny. Oh, that, that's what he's on yeah. about. <laughs> and before yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. And there's one moment, um, to the, the opening paragraph for the Witch's Chon in the Scottish play, I'll say the Scottish play. And, uh, you know, I remember reading that out because we did it for A-level. And I just remember getting to the end of that fair is foul and foul is fair mm. hover through the fog and filthy air and that alliteration and Did I remember I put I was yeah I was reading it and I just went the whole class just fell a bit sad and I went god that is fucking awesome <laughs> yeah yes it's yeah. just full of alliteration it's so and and that's what voice work does I feel you know 
fair that it brings that kind of that the fricatives so onto the front of the mouth that you think well how how else can you say it how else can you say them yeah you know it really allows you to play with your voice Shakespeare does Mm. especially Fair is foul. Foul is fair. <laughs> but to the fog and filthy air. Yes, that's amazing. Um, someone wants to try it for the first time. What's in here? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so if someone wants to say, sorry, I'm really, I, I keep looking here. My phone keeps going off. All the questions on it. Uh, but um, for someone, uh, if anyone's listening to this, uh, who is particularly worried about tackling Shakespeare or looking at Shakespeare in school right now or studying for A-level or just wanting to get to know a little bit more. Um, what would you recommend someone who who's literally approaching it for the first time and, you know, they have that, as you mentioned just now, the initial kind of, no, not not reluctance away, that's not the right word, but the, the initial kind of un- unsettledness in a way to think, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to understand this or oh, I'm reading all these big words. I don't know what they mean. I don't know what blank verse is or verse or iambic pentameter or anything like that but if anyone's listening right now to this chris what would you how, how would you encourage them to sort of tackle it head on for the very first time and absolutely not not, think, not to be afraid of the words and that it is accessible i think i would get out uh audio and yeah. i would listen to it mm. or watch it watch an old film watch a film of it mm. because i think to take a monologue or something out of context and try or try and read a play when you don't really understand it. Yeah. I think is too hard for some people. And I know I found that quite hard. So I, I remember listening to audio recordings whilst following the text. Yes. And listening to the, the feel that was created through the words and the, and the moods that were created through the words. And as a consequence, I, it, they kept somehow, the words married what I was hearing. So I was able to sort of, and I remember, I remember uh, when I was at drama school going through King Lear in that way. Mm. And it, it, I was literally lying in bed, crying my eyes out, absolutely crying my eyes out because I was, partly because I was understanding the text, but partly because I was so moved by mm. King Lear and what was happening. And so it was like, I was understanding through my ear. And, and for me, you know, voice work is about listening. <laughs> so, so listening really. Yeah, because there's some fantastic, um, again, of uh, Macbeth, I was at Macbeth, when we did um, Judy Dench and Ian McKellen back in, I think it was 1978, I think it was that production. Mm-hmm directed by Trevor Nunn. And another one I think is very good is listening to old um, old recordings of John Gilgood doing Hamlet and stuff like that. And he, I think someone said, he, the way he speaks verse is very, 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 not, not particular, but it's very accurate to yeah. the beats in the line. And he's very aware of all the grammatical things like alliteration, <laughs> onomatopoeia, um, yeah. antithesis. He's very aware of all that. And um, <laughs> there's a funny there's a funny story between because Laurence Olivier and John Gilgood worked together at the Old Vic or National Theatre back in the sixties and seventies, and uh, it's it's almost like they had two different variations of how to speak the verse. And I think Laurence Olivier was kind of a bit more 
I don't say naturalistic, but he was a lot more fluent with it. So it was more like to be or not to be, that is the question, but it is noble in the mind stuff with his things and hours of outrageous fortune. And apparently Gilgood has been on, <laughs> been on record to say, oh, Larry, he's a wonderful actor, but he speaks first like a machine gun. he's like slow down slow down larry slow down (laughs) which is great i mean because i think that that's another thing as well is like verse is very particular with the beats and the line in the way if you if you speak it too quickly then you can kind of lose the meaning in a way particularly if it's it's a significant and it can feel feel a little bit like a nursery rhyme yes because you're trying to obey that that rhythm too much whereas I think if you if you listen or watch it, mm. watch something on screen and then listen or listen to it and then follow the words, you'll you'll have much more of a personally, I would say that's the, the best way to go to help someone when they're first finding their way into Shakespeare rather than lifting a monologue because their drama teacher has, has told them to or lifting a monologue and they're not really knowing where it's from. Mm. what it's from, why they're saying what they're saying, where they've just come from as a character, yeah. where they're going to, those, it's, then it, they feel out of context. And, and that's often the case when you're auditioning people, that it mm. feels a little bit, I don't understand the why. Mm. Why are you saying this? Yeah. And, 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 and often they don't know why because they haven't investigated enough. So for me, watch it, watch it. There's no shame in watching something over and over again to have a feel of it or listening to it over and over again mm. and really getting a feel of the rhythms and the feelings. Yeah. And there, there's and another, mood. yeah. I mean, there's another, another moment if I may sort of share one of, um, did, did you see, um, do you remember when the Olympics came to London about oh, 10 years ago? 2012. Yeah, it'd be 10 years ago now. God, where's the time gone? Yeah, 2012, my gosh. Yeah, God. And I think that the RSC did, um, I think they did all of his works, but they put him in, in different contexts. So I know that Much Do About Nothing was set in India and uh, one Julius Caesar was uh, put into an African context. And uh, it was it was brilliant. And thankfully it was recorded and sort of adapted for film of Gregory Duran, wonderful man. And uh, when the actor, whose name I can't remember, but he, when he did Mark Antony's speech, uh, Let's Slip the Dogs of War. Mm. And just the, way, the particular way that he did it is like this battle cry and this screaming for revenge and everything. And you, you could tell he had really done his, the work on it. And this, if anyone who knows the play or doesn't know the play, it's a moment where he's seen his like closest friend or closest advisor's body being completely been mauled to death and of course, it's based on Julius Caesar's actual assassination. And that speech, it just takes you from like the bottom of this pit of like, I don't know what I've seen. I don't know what I've seen, but this is what's going to happen next. And this is what's going to happen next. And this is going to happen next. And this is going to happen next. And this is going to happen next. And it's just like, it's like, I'm going to watch you think, bloody hell, Shakespeare, you're a smart cookie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that moment really stuck with me. And uh, for anyone who's out there, it's on DVD. You can get it from the National Theatre or the RSC. I cannot recommend it enough. It's on digital theatre as well. If anyone has access to digital theatre, I cannot recommend that production of Julius Caesar enough. It's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And right. it's so, so brilliant. And cool. Just, uh, one, one last topic I want to talk about today. Thank you, being, thank you for your generous amount of time you give me today, Chris. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, the final thing I want to talk about is impressions. And uh, <laughs> we signed off with 
with yourself in pers- impersonations a few weeks ago. And uh, I think it's really interesting to know about the the secrets of impersonation and and the all that comes from is the placement of various regions within the mouth in a way. So um, yeah, and uh, they're more accessible than people think they are. So uh, what's so yeah? So let's talk about your experience or like your first the first time you were aware of uh, that you could do impressions. When when was that? Oh gosh, I think I think a lot of kids do it, don't they? There are a lot of kids um, yeah. play play. In fact, we do it. We we imitate each other, mm. and um, we imitate friends and family, and and we're and that's kind of the playful, creative side of us. Mm. And um, I think using it as a vehicle with students or with actors is, I think, is incredibly creative. Um, less so with impersonations mm. than with impressions. So an impression is a direct relation to right. the person that you are yeah. um, doing. An impersonation takes the, 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 the areas that are salient and, and makes them large. Yeah. So there are two different ways of looking at it. So for me, an impression is a direct correlation between the original person and the person that you're trying to imitate as as superbly as you possibly can and that's obviously listening skills observation skills um and then of course all of the the work of whether it's accent or placement or uh lip movement or slight stutter you know whatever it is it, it kind of helps create this almost direct version of the original person so if you think about Meryl Streep Mm. playing um, Margaret Thatcher and Michael Sheen who's done a wonderful job as both Tony Blair and um, Brian Clough um, you know these are fantastic and one of my ex-students Mark Pickering played a wonderful young version of Steve Buscemi's um, character in Boardwalk Empire. Mm. And uh, for me, it's it's getting absolutely every aspect so perfect. One of my other students, ex-students, um, Peter Groom, does an amazing um, uh, impersonation of um, Marlene Dietrich. And he's on at the Wilton um, Music Hall in London in May. Mm. An absolute superb, and he's obviously gone all over the world with this, with this um, work. And for me, yeah. a lot of people think it's about the outside in, um, and that would be an easy that's that's an easy assumption to make that it is about looking the external of that that individual and and then coming in. At, at, outward coming in but actually unless you truly are really working with that impression through listening skills and observation skills you can't really do the work very well it 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 becomes it becomes then the impersonation Mm. you know rather than a direct impression and an impression is is that kind of seal of impressioning you know that kind of impression onto something that's almost a carbon copy yeah. of the original and that's what I like to work with because then it's superb when you see it it's absolutely superb and your Alan 
Turin, Benedict Cumberbatch was actually lovely to watch. Oh, um, but, you know, it's really nice to see this in action. And I like, I think that can be really helpful for students or f- because you don't know where your work is going to take you. Yeah. And often what's, I always find it interesting that directors who might have come from completely different backgrounds may never have trained as an actor, may not know, but they may be able to say, oh, you know, like that person in, or you know, like Margaret Thatcher, you're yeah. able to go, I know, I know what to do, I know how to do, I know, you know, and I call it the Ola, observation, listening, authentic accent work, you know, because it's all of those things that com- combined, it brings it all nicely together. Mm. But I love that work because I think it gives students, for me, it gives students a, a confidence that perhaps they hadn't been aware of before. I don't know how you might have felt. I'm I'm making assumptions, Ollie, but you might have hated every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's all no, I, I I love doing what I tried doing impersonations, um impressions, sorry, of people, you know, you I was a big fan of um, Tommy Cooper. Great, obviously, I was too late to kind of see it, but I, I grew up watching his stuff, and then you just hear his voice over and over again. It's it's an infectious voice, mm-hmm. and you can't help but just sort of have a go at it. I'm not going to do it on here now because I'm that myself. Uh, but uh, that sort of thing, and yeah, it's just when I watch things now, particularly when I'm watching something last night with um, Cornish accents and stuff like that. And it's, that's a really tricky one. I think it's trying to find the, I find it towards the back of the throat and it's, I'm going to do a little bit now. I'll make myself look silly, but uh, it goes, what's what's a good line? Um, Purer than Cornish oak or something like that. (laughs) It's it's all right there. RN. Yeah. And the tongue's quite high and back. Yeah, corn, Cornish oak, right there. You felt I felt the tongues go up there. It was great, and uh, <laughs> so yeah, that that's pretty good. And you also have another one of your students. I'm not sure if you mentioned him already, so apologies if you had. But he does very good um, impressions on YouTube. I can't remember his name, but he does Luke Kempner. Luke Kempner, Luke that's Kempner. the one. Does a very I don't know movie. how much he does now, but he did a fantastic series called um, Downton downstairs at Downton and he did all of the characters yes. from Downton Abbey yes. and I believe that Julian Fellows gave him the the right to be able to use that term yeah. Downton um, and he did a one-man show and it was amazing to to watch to watch him do all of these voices live and be able to switch them on mm. and um, I always think that that's lovely lovely to see it's lovely to see students doing so well and it's lovely to see that the work that we might have explored in in class in a, a small way had a, had a bigger impact mm. for people outside long after they've left you know oh, of course absolutely you know you're doing some great stuff and you know if, as I said at the top of the episode there's like a tidal wave of information but it, but it <laughs> was board, <laughs> but it all went in nothing went out that's what I want, <laughs> I don't want to stress um so yeah just got two two more questions if I may before, before we finish up today um I'd love to talk to you um talk to you about the kind of spiritual aspect I find your your work very kind of spiritual in a way because not because the yoga and uh, the tai chi and everything but you talk a lot about the throat chakra a lot and uh, I'd love to hear more about the kind of spirit well I feel there's a do correct me if I'm wrong but there's a spiritual element to the throat chakra and everything that kind of surrounds your practice is that something that you've felt along the way 
I think it's that might that might be what you're receiving, which is great. Yeah. But I but the caveat is that I would not um, say that I teach anything spiritual. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just 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 to be that be quite clear. Oh sure. Um, sure. Um, because I do th- the throat, uh, because I do the chakras through the yin yoga. Mm-hmm. So we play with the different chakras as we're working on the on the um, through the yoga. The throat chakra for me is a fund the throat area, and um, the chakra means energy, mm. uh, and really the Vishuddha is the throat chakra in Sanskrit, and it just means pure or purification, and um, you know it for me when this throat chakra is really clear yeah um or clean it it represents good communication speaking clearly speaking effectively that doesn't mean to say so you're not woolly you're not around the edges you're not sort of like finding your way there you're being quite quite direct that doesn't mean to say that you're being aggressive yeah. with it but it but it associates itself with the mouth the teeth the thyroid the cervical neck the shoulders, the vocal folds, um, the trachea in, into your lungs and the arm. So it actually affects uh, all of this area. And as a consequence, that's why it's quite useful to work on body work, because then you're uh, releasing um, areas that, that, that will feed into this area, feed mm. into the throat chakra. And so for me, I'm always aware of what um, the impact that it, that, that, that the throat or the voice can have. And that may be that some, some people might shuff, suffer with shyness. And so my, my work is trying to release the throat chakra in order to make them feel less shy <laughs> or withdrawn. Yeah. Um, but for, for others, it can be the opposite. It can be excessive speaking. I'm in danger of that. <laughs> you know, so sometimes I have to switch myself off. And, and I will say to my, my um, partner, I will say, I'm resting my pipes. <laughs> too much, too much. Um, it can associate itself with not telling the truth mm-hmm. um, or unable to listen. So, so for me, that's why I, it, it's... I try not to allow my own beliefs to infiltrate the work. But of course, on some level, because of the style of practice that I I use, then no doubt there will be some elements where where people might feel certain things, you know. So that spiritual element might come in, but but that's not the actual aim. but releasing the throat chakra and releasing energy you know because chakras are just wheels of energy yeah you know throughout the the entire body and it's Mm. and sometimes they may be held held and so that's why we do a lot of body work in I guess in my practice probably but less so in in other um teachers work other voice teachers work but but I feel that if the body is bound then the voice will be bound. Yeah. Hope that makes <laughs> hope no, that makes sense. No, Again, it did. no absolutely. Here's, yeah. my, here's my throat chakra <laughs> working. Working. <laughs> Speaking too much. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. No, no. It's I, I think it's good to clear up that that's my 
sort of take from it and everything and that other people will take well have, have their own opinions and stuff like that but yeah I think that's just my perspective everything and of course other people's ideas are, are there and are perfectly valid as well and um so that's good to clear up but that's no it's really interesting really interesting to hear about the again my take on it but the spiritual dynamics of connecting the body together and feeling the energy and then releasing that into the room and I think that's a lot about we you know we did a lot of work with uh, also Grania Byrne who's also a teaching fellow at TSA about Michael Chekhov and the radiating out from that absolutely absolutely enter and stuff like that you know uh, you know uh, myself I include uh, you know I'm not reinventing the wheel here <laughs> you know, <laughs> yin yoga has been going on for thousands of years same you know throat chakras and uh, you know tai chi thousands of years you know I'm actually learning from the masters and keeping that that kind of feeling if you like that energy going mm, good stuff it's great and uh, just and then final thing I want to talk to you today about is um for final question is the your, your books and your research and stuff like that um for kind of a few questions everyone really um is there is there one in is there one in the works uh, one in the pipe <laughs> one in the pipe yeah uh, what's what's it what's it like writing a book and everything no. and how <laughs> yeah how was it? I'll start with that one what's it like putting all your ideas down into one sort of journal that goes into this that's published um well actually it was a long time coming I've been making notes in little tiny books for ages mm. and it's it's only when you develop your practice and you actually know what what your practice is yeah so me knowing knowing about the yin yoga and the Tai Chi I know what my practice is now before that I was a teacher that taught voice mm. but I have a practice now and as a consequence I'm able to know what it is but it took um <laughs> it probably took 15 years wow. before I actually sat down and wrote and and, and and I just sent a book proposal and and um I had several offers so I chose one hey. <laughs> um so so that was the voice and speech for musical theatre but that was because I had not seen a voice book that was for students that were engaged or people that were engaged in musical theatre there were singing books and singing actor yeah. but nothing that really registered the difficulty that a musical theatre performer has which is working through the body in, in very intense ways mm. in dance and um you know core strength which actually has an impact then on voice yeah and how to release the the the, the breath so so then i took my, my voice journey then ended up working with the musical theater quite a lot in order to ascertain uh what their problems were in order to solve them in order for them to be better people once they reach the third year and beyond. And as a consequence, mm. that helped the practice. So yeah. if you like, I was learning from the students, which then informed my practice, which mm. means I was able to then write the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm a sponge, sponge if you like. Yeah, and, uh, hence me now going on um, uh, training on viewpoints and Laban efforts. Mm. So stuff that I already know and stuff that's already part of my practice, but I want to delve much deeper mm. um, because then what I'll do is the, the the book, the voice and speech for actors will will be looking at 
Laban Effort's viewpoints, um, Michael Chekhov's work, and weaving the voice work through each of those methodologies. Wow. So, so it's, uh, it'll be the, the same. It will be the same guiding principles, which is do it first, understand it, then practice it. You know, for me, I, I don't like to know. I, I'm not a very good person at reading something and knowing it. I have to do it, feel it in my body, feel it in my voice. Yeah. Then I understand it. Oh. Then I can practice it. Mm. So I, that's how I tend to learn. So that's how I <laughs> teach. And that's how <laughs> I write. So yeah. I write in that same way. So each chapter is all about the feel it first, understand it, then practice it. Mm. Fantastic. And, and you'll have a you'll have a trilogy out probably next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'll have the voice and speech for actors out. Um, yeah. Then then there'll be, I don't know what's next <laughs> after that, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Well, we look forward to we look forward to that. Well, to, me, me especially. <laughs> I look forward to reading that. Right. Yeah, I think that's all my questions about Chris. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking me through your journey and just, <laughs> and again, just learning so much from you since September and learned stuff today about the you know trick with the candle and just avoid all kinds of bad things for the voice. <laughs> like that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Ollie, and uh, it's so nice to to go on this journey. Actually, myself, it's it's funny to talk about these things really and you are doing the work you don't realize you don't realize the impact that it has actually so it's been a pleasure yeah a to teach you and b to talk to you oh very kind of you no thank you so much for your time and you're doing some really great stuff and uh so yeah just keep keep going keep going but yeah i look forward to the book and uh yeah this has been this is great guys thank you so much for listening this has been the uncensored critic podcast and uh so if you just if you just hang on the call uh chris i'll say goodbye to you one-to-one i'll stop recording and then we'll go from there but uh yeah guys thank you so much for listening thank you for watching please like subscribe and i'll be back soon